Hello there, podcast listener. Amber Noel here. It's my turn to be a listener now. I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. The Living Church, as you might know, is a nonprofit communications ministry with a heart for Christian unity, especially in the Anglican communion. And we want to keep our mission sharp in all we do, including the podcast, and have fun, obviously. But would you write to me and let me know how we're doing? What's the podcast doing for you? Is it making a difference in your thinking, your ministry, your prayer life, your daily walk with your golden doodle? Do you have some hot takes on what we could do better? I want to hear it all. I might even read your comments on the next episode. There are so many great podcasts out there. I want to do more of what The Living Church is here to do and less of what it's not. So there are two things you can do to help. First, make sure you're following us from a podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find us on the page and click follow. The second thing you can do is email me, ambernoel at livingchurch.org. Share with me a thing or two you've gotten from the podcast over the years. And if you want, include something we might do better. Help us stay not just a great podcast, but on mission. Follow us, email me, A-M-B-E-R-N-O-E-L at livingchurch.org. I can't wait to hear from you. The Living Church, serving the Episcopal Church and Anglican Communion since 1878. Welcome to the Living Church Podcast. All my heroes start as villains. The music starts, the lights are low, everyone's eyes are up front. Now, you've been through a thousand rehearsals at this point. You've honed this craft, but still, you don't know how this is going to go. You never do, to be honest. There's always an X factor in this calling of yours, and that's part of what keeps you in it. Do you feel sleepy today or nervous or preoccupied or thrilled or joyful or a little bored? Never mind. It is not about you. You know it's about what the Spirit may do in the next couple of hours among the people gathered here, expectant. You glance and nod around at your bandmates and you smile. Clergy and performing artists, they have a lot in common. How is liturgy like a concert? How is a staff meeting like a band rehearsal? And all leaders and all Christians can learn so much from artists, good art and artistic discipline about God's world, God's work, and life in Christ. Today, I'm joined by the Reverend Jonathan Jameson to talk about some of this. He's also known as John Jameson of the indie rock band Delta Spirit. We talk about his own giftings in the arts and ministry and how they've been mutually illuminating. We also talk about discipleship on the concert circuit, the importance of geeking out and loving what you love, steps to discerning vocation, and how Bjork accidentally ended up in a conversation about sin and grace with Arvo Pert. Jonathan is Associate Rector at St. John's Episcopal Church in Savannah, Georgia. Until becoming a priest, he was a full-time professional musician. Jonathan and his wife, Amy, who also has a cool job as a fashion designer, recently moved from Montreal and have two young children, and I just met all of them at a lovely dinner last weekend in Savannah. Delta Spirit is the Americana-influenced indie band that he's been part of for 17 years, along with four other musicians. They've toured with My Morning Jacket, Clap Your Hands, Say Yeah, Cold War Kids, and The Shins, and you can find them on Spotify or in the show notes. Now, turn up your Fender frontman, maybe even to 11. Get those headphones on tight. We hope you enjoy the conversation. I try to work without 
I heard a rumor, and I just wanna and I just wanna clear something yep. up before we start. So I see behind you an, an icon, <laughs> okay. okay? And the rumor that I heard is that there is a period of time in which you were discerning whether to become Eastern Orthodox. Yeah. And one of the things that stops you is be- your wife's vocation in fashion. She was attending these services, and because <laughs> they involve so much standing. She's like, there's no way I can stand this long yeah. in the shoes that I love. That's there's part no of way. it. Yeah. Like, I'm not wearing those big, ugly, chunky orthopedic shoes. There's no <laughs> way. I just thought that was hilarious. That's it. I knew the door was closed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was even worse than that. She flew out. Our, our band was on tour in London. And like the normal thing you would do is like take your girlfriend on a date to a nice restaurant. And I was like, no. We're going to the Russian Orthodox Cathedral for for Vespers. And it was some even longer service. Oh, John. And she's, she just dealt with it after like flying and stood for like an hour and a half. She's like, we got to get out of here. And I said, you're, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that was the end of any any Orthodox dreams I had. Well, John, thanks so much for joining us today. Happy to be here. Now, did you bring your guitar? Because I was hoping that we could do a tiny desk concert today of of your greatest hits, but with just you playing and singing all the parts. Did I mention that in my email? Right. Okay. We'll skip that part. All right. The no deconstructionist (laughs) indie rock today. We'll just do some boring old interview questions. (laughs) I brought you here to talk about the intersections of being an artist, a musician, and being a priest in ministry. And I just want to say these are this is an intersection that I've always been fascinated with because these are both vocations of performance. Mm. And there's stuff out there on liturgy as theater, on priests mm. as actors, on the benefits of improv acting to ministry, but there's really not much on priest as alt-rock indie band members. So <laughs> let's just fill in that gap today. Can you tell us what are the roots and origins of, of Delta Spirit? You guys have been around for, what, 16 years now? Yeah, maybe even since we kind of formed, I think, at the end of 2005. So however many years that is, I I remember going and seeing uh, MXPX play at my church when I was in sixth grade. And the next day, me and my friend said, we're starting a punk band. And he said, I'm playing guitar and you're playing bass. That's what he told me. So I said, "Okay, fine. And so that's why I've still been a bass player all these years. At the end of high school, I joined this this band uh, called Noise Ratchet, and we were kind of a sort of uh, regionally popular emo band on the on like the edge of the Christian scene, but you know we would also mm-hmm. um, play clubs and stuff like that. And so and so that I, I the day I graduated high school, the next day I left on like a three month tour, and eventually we uh, we signed with Rick Rubin's label, a major label, and we. Um, you know, toured with some big bands. At one point, My Chemical Romance opened for us, which is hilarious. Wow. And, uh, but eventually it all fell apart. And, and so we, and our, eventually the singer of Delta Spirit and, and me and the drummer, Brandon, the drummer uh, from Noise Ratchet met, and we kind of were both jaded and against the major labels. And we said, we're going to do a band our way and we're going to do uh, music our way. And our tastes had shifted. We weren't really into, we were listening to like, you know, the Strokes and Air and Neil Young and things like that. And so we weren't, you know, the emo thing wasn't, wasn't as relevant to what we were into at the time. So, so we kind of started Delta Spirit on that, on that perspective in 2005 we said we're going to do it our way we're not going to sign to a label we're going to tour we're going to make music we love and we're only going to make music that we love what what kind of thing were you guys doing to earn your daily bread yeah yeah i i was i was 
you know, kind of fortunate enough to have um, a family that really supported me doing this. And I'm not really sure why, but they thought it, you know, they didn't, they didn't urge me to go straight into college. They didn't make me feel bad for, you know, for putting that off. And, and um, they let me live there for free while I was touring, which made a big difference. But eventually once Delta Spirit really got going, we just, we, we, we had made a, you know, a bit of a name for ourselves in, in our, in Southern California and we just made a lot of friends with bands, and pretty quickly uh, we got a booking agent, and and she just kept us busy. We were just we were touring, you know, ten ten months out of the year, kind of a thing. Wow! So we just were on the road, and if we weren't on the road, we were trying to write music and and uh, get back on the road. Wow, that's amazing. Would you say at some point there was some kind of shift? There there had to have been at some point, and maybe this corresponds to my next question, which is about how a vocation to the ministry and specifically the priesthood in the Episcopal church start cropping up mm-hmm. in all this. Cause at some point it, there there's this other vocation is, is coming to the surface. At some point you meet the woman who's now your wife, you guys start a family and there's a turn to a, a more, a more stable existence in which you're still a musician, mm-hmm. but you're, you're living in one place and not touring 10 months out of the year and also this other vocation that's coming up. So how did this transition happen? It was a sort of slow progression with deep roots. I mean, I, I think I, I was uh, I, I was raised in Southern California in two traditions that are pretty closely related, both kind of non-denominational charismatic, the Vineyard Church and Calvary Chapel. And I had... I had parents who were recent converts and they they were serious believers. I would see them reading their Bibles and we would be at church every week. And um, and it just clicked with me. I knew from a young age that that Jesus loved me. I I trusted that God was real and involved in my everyday life. And I, you know, that just that just was natural. And and I almost never have really questioned it. It's just, it's been the world that I exist in. Part of the shift that's happened for me out of out of that tradition a little bit what had to do with music because, you know, those traditions usually have sort of like a praise band. And eventually I started thinking, my band is better than this terrible band that plays at my church. And I didn't like it. And I would just kind of skip out on the worship part because it seemed cheesy to me. <laughs> and so I was coming to church to hear a guy you would, talk about God. So you would come to church late so you wouldn't have to endure yeah. the worship music? <laughs> yep, I would. I knew exactly when the sermon would probably start and I'd show up around then. And so that was that's how I dealt with it. Because I literally had no context for liturgy or sacramental life. That was just not something that was a part of our our faith. I started reading things. I, for whatever reason, I was always interested in theology. I wasn't reading like, you know, Aquinas then or something like that. But but I was reading C.S. Lewis or, you know, Thomas Merton and and eventually getting, you know, more interested in in this stuff. And, and eventually I realized there was a lot that I didn't know about. I didn't know about, you know, just the depths of of theology and history and the church. And, uh, and I had no context for liturgy. And so I'd read a lot about it at this point. And, uh, one day I went to, um, the local Benedictine monastery in, uh, Oceanside in North County, San Diego. And I, I actually went into the, there was a bookstore there and I went into the bookstore and I went up to the woman who was behind the cash register. And I said, um, I've never been to a liturgy before. Like, do you have any tips? Do I need to know anything? And she said, 
just know this, there's no going back. <laughs> and, I, and I said, okay, uh, yeah. And But she was 100% right. I went in. Wow. It was ter- It was like, n- reflecting upon it, it was like terrible liturgy. These monks could not sing. They were so off key. It was like, it was It was just a mess. But inside inside my, my heart, I was just in heaven. It was a sort of revelatory experience. I think that there will be a lot of listeners who can identify with the story that you've told, identify with a lot of the contours of it. And I know I can. And there are several things that stood Mm -hmm. out to me about your story, but I just want to point out one. And that happened between the ages of 18 and 22, somewhere in there, you, you talked about your friends are becoming jaded. You know, you've been in this scene for a while and, you know, you grew up in this vineyard thing and now you're getting jaded. And what one might expect to hear is that you started questioning your faith or the Bible Mm. or going to church. You were questioning the major labels, man. (laughs) You're like, (laughs) forget these major labels. So I love that around the time where, you know, this, this kind of like in the crucible of doing of being on the road, mm-hmm. um, what what happened was not a breakdown of your faith in the Lord or even your faith in the church, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. But but your you know your faith in major labels, like yeah, that's that's great, that's perfect. Could you tell me a story that stands out to you in this time of adventures on the road? There's there's so many stories. I, I don't know why this is coming to my mind. Um, this just shows just the sort of like. <laughs> ridiculous the things you start doing when you're just completely bored out of your mind and um and i mean because that's the reality of touring everyone thinks it's some sort of like crazy party all the time or something and in reality it's like the reason why musicians i think end up as alcoholics and drug addicts is just they're so bored there's oh, just <laughs> there's no all way. this time of just sitting around and nothing going on and then you have this one hour each day where it's you know finally you get to do something and you get to you know let things out so you you create these sort of crazy games, and one of the games we had, I can't even take credit for it. It was it was I think it was created by this metal band that I actually played in for a split second called As I Lay Dying, which is a whole other story. They created this game called the Sandwich Game, and so uh, basically the deal was if you took a bite out of your sandwich, you had to make sure that you had something on top of it, and at any given point if there was nothing on top of your sandwich, someone could just come up and smash it as hard as they could with their hands. Just, you know, punch, you know, punch your sandwich and make it explode. And, and of course this led to like almost brawls, uh, between us. There was some point where, you know, everyone's like, you know, beers or Coke spilled all over the table and, and just in the middle of a busy restaurant. So, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know why my mind went to that, but those are the sort of things that we got ourselves into. Obviously relatively harmless, but silly. And also it feels like that's kind of a gendered activity. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking maybe a band of women <laughs> yeah. with this, the sandwich exploding, the sandwich smashing yeah. game probably wouldn't happen. Yeah. That- that does sound about about right. Yeah, I'm yeah. not dogging your sandwich smashing. No, game I mean it. I wasn't my thing. Probably. I didn't ever like it. I was very careful about my sandwich. You can't so. back out now. No, John, you can't back out now. Now, okay, so you started becoming attracted to liturgy. Now, can you tell me after you know this this providential visit to this Benedictine monastery, something? What what was the process from there for you? to becoming a priest. So I honestly have no idea how I ended up at an Episcopal church, but I ended up at this Episcopal church in my town in Carlsbad, St. Michael's by the Sea. 
Uh, and I went to like a weekday noon mass and met the curate at the time there. His name was uh, Father Doran Stambaugh. And, and at, the end, at the end of mass, I walked out and I kind of started talking to him and he wasn't doing anything. So he said, hey, let's talk. And then we just sat down and started talking about, you know, my background and history and interests. And he, um, he had been a musician and, and was just kind of this, he was young, he's young and, you know, for, for a priest and you know, had a beard and was kind of cool. And so, so we got talking and, and we just, from that point on, we became very good, uh, friends. He was really like a mentor for me and we, we would meet up and for beers or coffee. And he sort of very gently bore with me with all my many questions and taught me sort of, you know, the, the Catholic faith. And at the same point, I also met my wife who was raised Roman Catholic. She didn't have a bad experience uh, in, in uh, being raised a Catholic. And she also had a moment of sort of rediscovering faith in, in a in a non-denominational setting. And so she didn't really have a bad experience in either of those things. And something about the time that we met, the trajectory of my life uh, versus the trajectory of her life kept me from going down any weird roads. Part of it was, so I would, you know, at this point I was still full-time musician and, and really have been until relatively recently. Um, although COVID made that a little bit slower and going to seminary slowed that full-time thing down a bit. But, um, you know, when we would tour, um, like I said, there's just a lot of time. And so when we were, when we were driving, a lot of times I'd be reading, not all the time, but I'm sure I wasted lots of time as well. But I just really got interested. I, every place we would end up, I would look up what churches were nearby and I would actually tour with a sort of folding bike. And then I would just find out like, Oh, there's evening prayer right after soundcheck. And so I would just bike to these random churches. And sometimes it was a, an Orthodox church. Sometimes it was a Roman Catholic church. Sometimes it was an Episcopal church. Um, and, and it became a sort of probably not a bordering on an obsession, but like every town. And I eventually found out more about the kind of, you know, the, 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 wonderful uh, Anglo-Catholic shrine churches around around the country. And so I would make special effort to wake up early and make it to the 8 a.m. mass, even though I was went to sleep at, you know, 4 a.m. the night before. That's hardcore, so, John. So I eventually, yeah, yeah, I know, right? So I eventually had to say, what's going on here? Why am I always reading theology? Why am I deeply interested in the worshiping life of the church? And why do I find myself wishing I was there when I'm here? And, and, and it wasn't, it wasn't the, it wasn't like I didn't love music. I really, I really did love music and still do really love music, but I could sense that God was uh, shifting my heart towards something else. And one of the other wonderful things I got to do along the way is just make friends with priests and get to know them and start talking. And so it was a sort of like wide um, web of sort of pre-discernment at that time. It would just be me talking with these new priests I'd become friends with and making sense of what's going on in my life. Interested in strengthening your Anglican formation or strengthening the formation of someone on your staff or in your diocese? Come and join us or send a few lucky people to Oklahoma City this September for Love's Redeeming Work, a two-day conference specially tailored for clergy and seminarians as a deep dive into the Anglican tradition, the history, theology, preaching, and beauty. It'll be a rich time of fellowship, learning, shared meals, and prayer. Keynote speakers include the Reverend Dr. Ephraim Radner and the Right Reverend Joseph Galgalo. Check it out at tlci.livingchurch.org forward slash calendar 
or just click the link in the show notes to see the schedule and register. That's tlci.livingchurch.org forward slash calendar or click the link in the show notes. Yeah, I love that. It makes such a difference, doesn't it, to pay attention to who your your quote unquote people seem to be. So may this be an encouragement to any Christian leaders out there, a lay leader, you're a bishop, whatever, but you're also really into 17th century poetry or (laughs) you, you know, have, which is not unusual these days, you know, this wicked set of tattoos, or you have a porcelain collection that you're really obsessed with. I mean, there can always be something that, that says to, that signals to someone else, hmm, I could be in the ministry and be like this person too. I mean, we, we symbolize something for each other that the Lord often uses to, to draw us into a vocation. So, so keep collecting that porcelain and keep (laughs) playing pickleball and keep listening to, you know, whatever you listen to nine inch nails. I don't know. Now let's, uh, I want to move into this, the kind of what, what things look like for you today. And I know you're still relatively new to the ministry, but Mm -hmm. I have a feeling that you've already felt so much congruence that you've already felt some congruence between having a vocation in the arts and having a vocation in ministry, that these are mutually illuminating, uh, mutually energizing maybe, but also there might be some tensions in some places. So I want to look at several different areas where there might be a Venn diagram between okay. these two vocations and and chat about those. And the first one is maybe the most obvious, and we've mentioned it previously, and that is the space of performance. So mm. being on a stage mm. versus being behind a pulpit or in front of a class teaching or at the altar you might yeah. be wearing a microphone in either one of those spaces of performance. It's interesting when when ministers started wearing mics. What what have you noticed? Not here at St. John's Church spaces? in Savannah. <laughs> all right, we, 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 all we're, right. We're, we're all yeah. We're an acoustic uh, acoustic congregation here. Very folk folky, I guess. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> all acoustic. Yeah, all acoustic. Um, yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. I, I I've, I've I have thought about this. A lot, I and I think uh, one what I've I what I've come to realize is that the priest is not the lead singer, and I think I think about this in the sense of being a bass mm. player. So mm. even on the stage, I'm always I'm always like over on the right, you know, or the left, depending on where you are, and and really as a bass player, no one's really looking at you; <laughs> they're looking at someone else, right? <laughs> but what you're doing is contributing to the action. You're part of something that's happening, um, and really, it's a sort of uh, it's it's a sort of action that's in relation to what everything else that's going on. But you're also very serious about pointing to what's happening: the words that are coming out of the singer's mouth, the music that's coming out of the whole group up there. Mm. And so, mm. I, I feel like that is what a priest is. There's a temptation to think of the priest as the lead singer, right? To think that it's their performance or that they're the focal point. But I I think that's absolutely wrong. And I think the priest is always, if they're doing their job right, pointing beyond themselves to Jesus, who is, I mean, that's so cheesy to say that he's the lead singer, but he is the focus of the action in our worship, in our preaching, in our teaching, in every aspect of the priestly life. When I was at St. Thomas Fifth Avenue, Father Mead, uh, Father Andrew Mead was the rector there. And when he would preach, I honestly am not sure I really remember too many of his sermons, but what I do remember 
is him almost every sermon pointing either to the cross or to the altar. And so he was just pointing at something else other than himself. And to me, that was, it resonated. And I said, that's it. You know, that's what I want to do. So, and I think this comes back into my own sense of, um, of call as an early, you know, as a, as a child who is a, a committed Christian, um, I thought maybe God's calling me to ministry because I have a real love for the church, but in that context, in a sort of non-denominational context, not always, but often there's a sort of really charismatic person that can just preach for an hour with no notes. I, that's nothing necessarily wrong with any of those things, but I, it wasn't me. It wasn't who I felt that I, I was or maybe ever would be. And so, so it wasn't until I kind of came into this sort of setting where it was clear to me that the, the pastor, the priest is not the focus. I thought, oh, okay, I can be a part of this. As a priest, you're providing the baseline. <laughs> you're not. You're not the lead <laughs> singer. Yeah. You're providing the baseline. Um, in and of of you know le- in leading the liturgy, you're providing the baseline. That's really beautiful. This reminds me of a jazz concert I was at a couple of weeks ago. The final act was gorgeous. It was a um, it was a quartet. There's this incredible thing that happens with this group of musicians. I love seeing it happen, especially with jazz. It is is they start with a piece, maybe someone starts out and other people join. And then at a certain point, as it goes, each person takes the center stage, takes more of the attention, mm. and then they fade back. And then someone else comes out and then they fade back. And you always know kind of who the leader is. Often it's the pianist. But there was a a, a man who was playing the stand-up, the upright bass, and he was so into the music that he was playing. He was doing the head bob, you know, and he was so deep in that people were, were audibly commenting around me as if we were at a, as if we were like at a black Baptist church, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, come on. Oh, he's in, he's all the way in. I mean, people were, were audibly commenting <laughs> on this bass player's leadership in that moment, but, but just his, his, Hmm. his own disappearance into the music. I just want to bring Hmm. that up because the way that a musician can let themselves enter the music in such a deep way, I just have a sense that somewhere along the line has to have a congruence with how ministry and leadership work. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. On a few levels, I think there's just the the sort of nature of, 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 corporate worship uh, is is very similar in some ways to a live performance, um, mainly because a band can be playing a song in a rehearsal space and a band can be playing a song in front in a, in a sold out show. And they're the same song played just as well. And there's two absolutely different experiences, right? So one, one is, is this sort of, uh, of like that bass player getting lost in this thing that's bigger than yourself. And the other is just feels like homework, right? Or, or you're just doing, going through the motions. And not that every concert feels like uh, ecstatic or something, uh, but there's a, there's a sense that something different is happening right now than what was happening there in the re- rehearsal space. And so I think that has a lot to do with, um, with worship. That, that, uh, and this says a lot about our sort of strange time we've been through where a lot of us couldn't be at church for a long time or, or, or there was even the point where the question was, do we need to be in church? Like, is this just as good? Is this, is this more direct? Is this more meaningful? And, and, and I just, I think music 
a concert is one of the clear points where you say there's a difference, right? Yeah. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> you, you can watch as many YouTube videos of, of Led Zeppelin as you want, right? <laughs> but like, that's not the same as being at a Led Zeppelin concert back in the day, right? There, we have a call as Christians to worship God corporately. And these, these other, these, you know, these issues of, you know, I think web streams are a gift to the people that can't be there, but there's a clear sort of priority of, of what's the best versus what is a sort of substitute in, until we can get back to that best. And I think also, yeah, there's like, I think in another way, on another side of it, there's that sort of collaborative model that that when you're you're working with people for something, you know, the beauty takes that sort of vision and collaboration and corporate execution and and working on something, um, you know, that that uh, means everyone's heart is in it. Everyone's giving their time to this thing. And so both in, in music and and in and in worship. We've said the word now resonate several times and just a quick note. <laughs> Probably one of those words that I use too much. Well, no, no. I mean, the, the, I mean, but we're talking about music. We're, we've been talking about literally the baseline and then talking about the difference that it makes to be in a live space. This brings me back to this jazz concert. I was initially during the concert sitting way, way, way back. I was waiting for some friends we were waiting two and a half hours for the rest of our friends to get here. We ended up just eating barbecue and half paying attention to the music. And this is the point at which I said, you know what, guys, I'm getting sleepy. This is kind of boring. I think I'm going to go. And they said, no, 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 let's move up closer to the stage and let's just stay for the last act. And when we moved up to the front, it, it was, first of all, one of the one of the the top acts that they had all day. They were ending on a high note, but also the resonance of the music in the ground and in your body when you're up closer to the stage and you're gathered with just more people rather than scattered far away from the action, eating barbecue and, and sipping on a dose equis. So these were, these were one experience was bringing me in. And the other experience, I was on the fringe kind of dipping in and out. I was kind of getting bored, but when I, when we were fully committed to being there, even if I were deaf, I wonder if I could still enjoy this music because of just the resonances that I feel, the different resonances of each of the different instruments. So I think resonance is, is a great word for this. Now, I'd like to, to move into another thing that you mentioned, which is the rehearsal space. So speaking of rehearsal, spiritual disciplines and artistic disciplines I know for a fact have a lot in common as a writer and as someone who's watched a lot of actors roundtable, people talking about their disciplines, their practices. One of our one of the authors of TLC, Retta Blaney, she's our, our theater critic, and she's actually written a book on the spiritual lives and practices of, of several actors. And what makes for good prayer can also make for good writing, good performance, good music writing, good musicianship. So are there some overlaps that you've noticed as well between the spiritual disciplines and your your own discipline as a musician? Yeah, yeah. As you were asking the question, I started thinking about um, the daily office. And I think what, it, what I started thinking about was that when you're touring and playing these songs day in and day out, there's a real, there's a sort of repetition to it. And there's not always a sense that what you're doing is spiritual or exciting. There's like, so there's days where you're just showing up and you're kind of doing your job. <laughs> you're just playing a show. And, uh, and, and I feel that same way. I think with the daily office, I feel like 
overall, I feel so grateful for it. And there's times where you just hit this moment in scripture and, uh, and something just clicks and opens up, but more than not often, it's just doing it, you know, the next day, the next, you know, readings and, and, and time of prayer and, and setting that side away. But if you, but if you don't take that time, if you just say, oh, this isn't useful, then what are you going to be doing instead? And I think with music, if, if you, if you only wait to play the biggest show in the world or something, or the one that you're feeling really into it at the time, how are you ever going to end up there? You know, you, it's, it's the, that sort of day in, day out that internalizes the music that uh, makes that incredible breakthrough possible. When you get into that, one of those spaces that feels dry or that feels unremarkable, you know, there's just going to be seasons where your heart's really in it and, you know, Everything is like this ecstatic moment. And then other times when absolutely not, there's a fallow season or whatever it may be. These always, I think they often have mysterious reasons for why they happen. But what do you do other than, other than wait, you know, um, what do you do when there's a season of music or ministry where your heart's not in it? I just think naturally our hearts tend towards hardness, right? And I think that it takes sort of the the move of the Holy Spirit to soften our hearts. And, and I think with music, sometimes that comes, I mean, I know that I've been to certain concerts where all of a sudden, usually not my own, but uh, something just hits you and you say, this is, this is why this is an incredible thing. It, it strikes at your core. And m- more and more, I'm starting to think that that's really the job of, of preaching um, it is to sort of, is to sort of wake us up and and stir our hearts to recognize what we're doing in this moment, like what we're what we're a part of, that we're a member of Christ's body, that we are here worshiping, you know, the Creator of all things, who happens to also love us and and he, who has given Himself for us in Jesus, who is dwelling within us through the Holy Spirit. So, like, I feel like, uh, yeah. So it's an, I I know that usually that's what I need. I mean, there's a sort of Bonoism, kind of uh, talking about you know playing all these shows and you never know when like the spirit's going to show up and you could play one show and just feel very cold and uninterested and then the next one just feels like you know heaven on earth and there, there's just a reality to that that it's you can't quite um and maybe that's just the nature of of uh, maybe it reveals a bit of the nature of god that god isn't um controlled by us right that that instead god is a bit wild and a bit um unpredictable. And, and instead, what we need to do is put ourselves in the place where we might uh, catch a bit of that sort of heart melting <laughs> spirit. You know, if if preaching is one of the spaces that you can find new energy or wherever you normally find energy as a minister or someone in Christian leadership, that may be the place especially to keep persisting and especially to be doing your best, but also maybe especially to be digging for what other people are doing yeah. in that area and and enjoying that. So I would think like you're not gonna, you know, sit around preaching to yourself if you've lost your mojo as a bassist, <laughs> but you're gonna be listening to other people's music. Yeah. I mean, I would guess that that other people's music in that case would be a place where if you're not feeling it with your own with your own guys yeah. or with your own talents um or with your own songs that you can find at other places and and that is also a gift it is yeah yeah and it's you know again a recognition that we 
need each other, right? That we kind of, that we aren't some sort of self-contained individual that can handle everything ourselves. We need the influence of others. We need the sort of uh, life that community brings. And when we open ourselves to that, that's that's when there's that chance of, of sort of freshness and, and new life and joy that comes out of, out of that. Now, speaking of the Holy Spirit and inspiration, I, I'd love to stay here for just a little longer, but I think just in the in the everyday way and also in some in some pretty, you know, in some profound moments in our lives, there are those more emotionally healthy things that the Holy Spirit inspires, uh, those more emotionally healthy moments where we become owned and possessed by him and spoken. He speaks through us in a particular way that's particularly powerful. And we have the blessing of being able to actually feel something of that ourselves. Now, we're not always right. I mean, I've also heard the stories of preachers getting up and feeling like they are slaying. And then (laughs) they ask, you know, their wife, for instance, or a friend, you know, hey, I how, you know, how was that today? And and they're like, yeah, it wasn't your best. And then yeah. some other day where they're just not feeling it, someone hears the word of God and is cured of cancer or something like really amazing or changes yeah. their life and accepts Christ. Um, yeah. But all of those caveats, I love caveats, all of those <laughs> being said, how has your pneumatology developed and been enriched in this double vocation? And maybe it's my sort of like charismatic youth, uh, but I, I think both in music and uh, in ministry, I, I think the sense that trusting that God is working in the material world, that God is is uh, trusting that God will show up, right, is is a, is a big part of it. I don't know why my mind keeps going to this, but I just think it's so beautiful, and maybe that's why. Maybe it's because it has this sense that like that God communicates in whichever way He, he desi- decides to. But there's this wonderful interview. Um, I'm not even sure you can find it on YouTube anymore, but it's somewhere if you look, look it up. The composer Arvo Pert, um, in conversation with Bjork, and it's incredible. And it's sort of her, she's a big fan of his, and of course she's an important musician um, in her own right. And and they're talking about his new style of music that he had he had been developing. He, he was you know, had this certain style when he started and he took 10 years off and <laughs> supposedly didn't release any music or something. And then he came back with this whole new style of music and she starts talking about it. And she says, your music to me sounds like Pinocchio where there's like the good angel and the bad angel. And one's saying, you know, no, no, no. Uh, and the other one is saying, it's okay. It's okay. And he just lights up and, and, and says, yes, you've got it. That's what is happening in my music. And but the way he describes it is a bit different. He says, he says, there's two, there's two different movements in my music. And one, he says to her, is is my sins. And she just starts looking at him like, what? Like, what are, what could you possibly be talking about? This one is my sins, and it's all over the place and it's disjointed. And then this other one comes in and it's God's forgiveness of my sins. And it's just, and she just is confused, oh, wow. but just, oh, man. but it's powerful. And it's like, you can tell that she picked up on something that was happening in his music, something that maybe he intended, mm. but also something that, that God was, you know, there's a theological element. And so, so there's this real sense that, that, that God is working in the material. And I think that that is ultimately the sacramental um, Christian approach, that God is at work in our lives he works through the material of our, our bodies and the material of, of you know, of 
bread and wine and, and the Eucharist and water and baptism. And so I think trusting that these aren't just empty um, displays of, of folklore, but th- these are places where God's Holy Spirit is actively moving. So I also want to speak practically because the Holy Spirit is impeccably practical mm. as well as being so many other things. So when it comes to the business side mm. of being a pastor, mm. the business side of being a musician, is there anything from the music world that has helped you in church administration or or vice versa? Yeah, that's, that's a good uh, question. I, I, I don't know that we were ever terribly good at business in our, in our band, <laughs> but I think um, one thing that we did do is we always made sure that and this is a sort of democratic nature of the band we were in. We had to all be a hundred percent into something to do it. And if one person wasn't interested, we didn't do it. And so, um, not that you can necessarily wow. run a church completely like that. You're always going to, you know, you have one person doesn't mm-hmm. want to do something, but, uh, but that sense that, um, of, of getting a vision that people are a part of, uh, and, you know, for something that, that is going to offer beauty and truth. And, and I think, I think it's important to not just sort of, there's, there's, you know, famously those lead singers that just do whatever they want to do and everyone else tags along. And I don't really know that that's a great model for many businesses. Not that we don't need leadership, but I think the best kind of leadership just brings everyone along with them for this common vision. That's not just to make the lead singer rich, but that's a part of, you know, or the CEO rich or, hopefully never the priest rich, but like, but, you know, but this sort of vision of, of growth. Uh, and especially when what we're talking about is, is, is sharing God's love with people and, and the good news of the gospel. Whenever I visit a church, by the way, especially if it's a large church, if I'm thinking of attending there regularly or being a member or I'm evaluating the health of what the possible health of the church might be, I often ask myself, how often do the administrative roles turnover because of stress Mm, or burnout. And that's the place where often like you can see the chink in the armor. So whoever is carrying the load of, of supporting all the things that are happening on staff, I always kind of want to know, do they feel like they're contributing to writing the song or, you know, are, or are they not? It's not a life giving thing for them. Mm. Um, So something to think about for all of us for sure as we exercise our leadership. Okay, so final question for you. What do you wish, John, that Christian leaders would learn from bands? And you can answer <laughs> this any way you want. This could be like collaboration, which we kind of touched on. You could say, yeah. oh, I think they should listen to the music of these people. I think they would learn a lot. Should we go to more shows? You know, what do you think? What do you wish Christian leaders would learn from bands? Yeah, I think that's good. I think. So I've, I've, I've existed for a long time as a sort of, you know, relatively serious Christian in a relatively, you know, for lack of a better term, sort of secular existence, right? This, this space that is not clearly churchy or, uh, you know, I was usually like one of the only, you know, serious Christians or believing persons. Um, although I've seen a sort of shift there from a sort of, anti-God state state where when I was young, I remember going to this punk club and every day, every time I would go, there's a guy there. We became friends, but he would say, have you renounced Christ yet? And I'd say, nope, still haven't renounced Christ. (laughs) And, and, but we had a sort of camaraderie and friendship about the seriousness of our our beliefs. But I feel like now that's sort of shifted. I mean, not that there aren't atheists or whatever, but I, I think there's a lot, there's a real difference. There's a sort of openness to 
to um to spirituality but what what i what i'm getting at i guess is that um and here we are i'm in savannah georgia and a town known for for flannery o'connor's uh work and where she spent time as as a youth was she born here i think she was born here and then went to milledgeville i forget i should know this forgive me but she has you know fame famously she's she's talked about how the south is sort of christ haunted and and i love that and i just think that's sort of I don't think just the South is Christ haunted. I think the world is Christ haunted. The, the universe is, is Christ haunted. And not in the sense that Christ is some sort of, you know, scary ghost, right? But in the sense that the spirit of Christ, that the Holy Spirit is working in all of these ways. And part of our job as Christians is to sort of identify where those things are and to make those connections to the truth of the gospel. And so I think the church can do a lot better job of that. And I, and I hope to be a part of doing that in some ways, re-engaging in the arts, right? Re-engaging in, in, uh, in, in music and, and thinking about culture. And some people do this really well. I think Mockingbird, for example, does this really well, where they're always kind of paying attention to what's going on in the world and the news and seeing where God is working in those places. So I think that that is just such an important role for us in this sort of you know latent spiritual state where we think we kind of think there's a real divide between the spiritual and the secular, but really God's present. And we just need to find where those things are and then, and then make, connect the dots to, to, you know, the deeper things and to community, right? Cause that's the, the whole spiritual, but not religious thing is this idea that we can just figure it out all on our own. And we can't, you know, that's what Christians believe. We can't figure it out on all on our own. We have to depend on the ages of, of believers who have gone before us all the way back to the apostles and, and our Lord himself. Yeah, it's so easy to, when you're in ministry, to get siloed where you don't have any friendships, even casual ones, with people that aren't Christians or at least are Christians differently from the way that you're a Christian, which maybe, you know, is kind of a baseline. <laughs> baseline. <laughs> yeah. But at the end of the day, like somebody who's been working all day in an ad agency and comes home and, you know, is watches their favorite show on Netflix and drinks coffee martinis mm -hmm. and has a labradoodle <laughs> and used to be a Christian, you know, can I right. connect with them? Well, actually, yeah. yes, I can, because I mm -hmm. also watch Love is Blind on Netflix, right. <laughs> which I've confessed before. Yeah, same so here. So it's Sorry. like, okay, yeah. <laughs> well, so I mean, if there's something, again, going back to those things you're interested in or those quirks, like, maybe find some other people who like them, who you can talk about them with or connect that just aren't in your world. That's a challenge for myself uh, as well. Well, John, thank you so much for your time today. I, I'm actually going to be in Savannah in a couple of weekends. Wonderful. Well, that'll be great. to Hopefully we'll find time to meet up. That'd be great. I've been joined today by the Reverend Jonathan Jameson, also known as John Jameson of Delta Spirit. And you can check them out on Spotify or deltaspirit.net. They just released a new single. John, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Amber. It's a joy to be here. Had a dream so good that I didn't want to wake up. It was you and I and nobody tried to interrupt. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a good rating. If you want to see Bjork and Arvo Parrott's interview, find a link in the show notes. Our intro and outro music today is courtesy of Delta Spirit's new single, Villains. Find it on Spotify and more about the band in the show notes as well. In two weeks, we'll hear from someone amazing. We've got several people in the hopper, including Quaker pastor and leadership guru Mary-Kate Morse on Leading With Your Body and Mormon historian Patrick Mason on Hulu's recent show, Under the Banner of Heaven and what media gets right and wrong about religious faith. 
but we may call an audible and be able to welcome a freshly elected president of the House of Deputies to talk about their new role and the general convention. So stay very, very tuned. Until then, I'm your host, Amber Noel, and it has been good to be with you. Peace. Peace.